It's Tom. It's Jake. You already know. It's pretty spot on. All ready? User submitted questions. Yeah. So kind of just to give some context for everyone listening, because we do have a video component as well, is we opened it up about a week ago prior to recording all this to people on Instagram, my following, your following, even the podcast following, just saying, hey, we're starting this, submit questions, nothing's off limits. And we got probably a collection of like 30 to 50 sort of submitted questions. Mind you, some of them were asking very much the same thing. So we rocked with the 10 questions that we feel answer most of y'all's questions. So I think the format of this one will be a little bit different than the previous two episodes where we'll still be very conversational, but just kind of diving into the prompts that pop up or the questions. Right. So if you're watching this on YouTube, we have a monitor that you know, obviously has the questions for those listening, you know, on the podcast, we'll read out the question as well. But uh, you just want to, do you just want to dive back in? I think so. So also, I I think that might like clip the audio. All right, Tom. All right. I got you, bro. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) Just telling you. All All right. right, So question number one, we have, let's see, Tasha Tasha Jolly Jolly says, when you started to get momentum with your business, what was the biggest drive to continue the growth? That's a great question because I think a lot of people who maybe are following Jake and I's journey just as filmmakers, as we, we've we tried to be very forthcoming with our knowledge as entrepreneurs, as we've dived into different endeavors, locations, Tropic, Prism. And yeah, I mean, do you want to maybe touch on like things that inspire you to continue to chase growth? Um, I don't know. I feel like I've always been one, like I just always want to grow and progress and like I never want to be like stagnant in anything that I'm doing. And so, I mean, obviously just like, I always want to try new things. I feel like we've done that with so many different businesses and companies and different things that we started. But when it's like, it's like, it's kind of, I don't want to say like a drug, but like when you do something and you kind of get that little taste of like success or momentum, like you don't want to stop, you know, personally for me. And so, um, I just always want to progress, get better. It's almost like gambling in a way. Like you, you win and you want to win bigger. And it's like, I don't know. For me, it's like just always wanting to level up, grow, progress, whether that's personally, business, monetarily. Um, I don't know if there's, it's like when you started to get momentum with your business. Like when it started to pop off, like how do you continue to keep that going? Is my takeaway on it? Yeah. I think what I would say is, Naturally, when you start anything for like brand new, right? Maybe that's a new skill, a new hobby, in this case, a new business. Things are new and exciting. Everything you're learning at firsthand. And I think that process can be, I I find that process to be very fun. So to kind of, I guess, speak to continuing that growth, I think as business owners, I can at least speak for myself, like for Prism, for instance, once we've kind of caught up on orders, we fulfilled all the pre-orders, like instead of just continuing to sell and sell stagnant or stay stagnant, I think it's like for us, we're like, all right, let's, let's make What's it next? fresh again. Like let's, yeah. let's launch another pre-order. Let's prototype something like kind of getting back to that initial excitement yeah. has always kind of propelled me. If that's opening a new location, it's kind of like going through the trenches again, signing a lease, starting with a blank canvas. So like, I feel like sometimes starting back where you started keeps things exciting. Taking something from nothing is always like super exciting. Cause once like- you're at a certain point where things are popping, 
That's where I feel like, and I've even experienced that with some of our businesses. If you just kind of like let them ride naturally, as you sort of put attention elsewhere, they will start yeah. to decline. So like, you know, kind of approaching it in that term. So I don't know if that really answers your question quite to the full, uh, Tasha, but that's kind of our take on basically what we do and how we approach our, our businesses. All right. Next. Next question. Directo. <laughs> I think director, that was a typo oh, on my okay. part. <laughs> director underscore Amaro asked, advice for anyone looking to start a new business. What is the best way to ensure it doesn't fail? I would say having a good team in place. I think something I always kind of look at is your day, right? 24 hours, but let's be real. If you wake up at a decent time and go to bed at a decent time, you're up for about maybe 16 hours. So if you look at those 16 hours as like your bandwidth, like how much time you're allocating different things, let's imagine you're giving some time to relationships and friendships, giving certain time to working out, leisure, hobbies. What time are you giving to a business? There's only so many hours you have. Maybe that's six hours, maybe that's your nine to five, so like eight to 10 hours. So out of those eight to 10, there's only so much you can do within that time period, right? And I feel like as we started to build more businesses, there just is not enough time yeah. in the day for us to be managing the peer space, to be managing the customer emails from Prism, to be doing all those things at once. So having a team or infrastructure in place frees us up to continue to do the thing that keeps it fun and exciting for us. Right. If I mind you initially, and we're going to do an episode kind of more dedicated Diving to Prism. When we launched Prism Lens Effects, I was manually drilling every piece of glass. We were doing the emails, like we were doing everything and right. it like kind of became unfun. It just like was like, wait, this is not, this is not it. You know? So we brought on a team to handle those things. So I think my sort of answer to this question would be, the best way or advice for anyone looking to start a business is try to find people who check the boxes that you don't. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, case in point, like even with like Tropic, when we were starting out, like you were much more of like Tropic Color, by the way, for people who don't know it, what I mean when I say Tropic, uh, you were like a lot of the back end side with like servers, website, build out, development. I was a lot of like video editing, marketing, you know, YouTube, et cetera. And so it's like, you checked boxes and did things that I didn't like or wasn't the best at and vice versa. So yeah, having that team in place to have everyone kind of has these, you know, I guess like what mission, like, and things that they're good at that they do that you can't. But I think the thing that stands out to me is you have to, when starting out a new business, you have to want to do it and you have to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. If you if you're trying to start a business that you're not all in on, you haven't pushed all your cards to the, all your money to the table, like you shouldn't I don't know, you shouldn't be doing it. Like, yeah. there shouldn't ever feel like a job. Yes, a business is a job by design, but it should be something that you, you should like, love it. Honestly, when I was going like starting Prism, I would like fall asleep watching like videos on how to drill glass and adhere yeah. epoxy. And like those are things that I would never really do in my like creative field. But like that business caused me to learn those skills and different things. And like, yeah, I think it's there's I don't even know how to describe that feeling, but like yeah. it's kind of like a new relationship, right? Like when you have a new girlfriend or boyfriend, whoever's listening, a new relationship, you're excited about it. You like look forward to texting them in the morning. You look forward to growing that thing. And I think a business is like that. You have to treat it like a relationship. You have to give it time. Right. You're figuring things out as you go. And I know that maybe sounds like cliche and corny, but really like 
in starting everything that we've done, I've had to like learn firsthand businesses, for instance, we like, or the locations, like we bought a warehouse or leased a warehouse and I had to teach myself how to weld. Yeah. I taught myself how to like, you know, and it was just like, those are, in, I love learning things. So for me, it worked out. Maybe some people listening or watching, like don't like to learn new things, but like I naturally, when you start a business, you just have to like figure your, figure it all out. And to understand you know? that nothing happens instantaneously, like stuff takes time. Even to this date, Tropic Color is five years old and we're just now like hitting the pinnacle stride and like seeing our best months ever, yeah, like, gr- like even growing further. And so it's like stuff takes time, but you have to really enjoy it and love it. And that's what will make something successful is when you wake up wanting to work on it, wanting to grow it. If you don't like that thing, if you're not fully into that thing, fully invested, chances are that thing's going to kind of flounder and flop around and potentially fail. 100%. There's no way to fully ensure that it doesn't fail, but those are some of the best things I think we could talk about. Cool. But Question number three. Lazy Habits asked, do you set long-term goals slash targets? I know you talked to me um, around, because your birthday's in January. And yeah. I remember like for your 30th, we were on like a cruise with a bunch of our friends. And since it was like very early on in the year, you were kind of talking about some of the goals you had set for the year. Right. And I know you even write them down on a list. Is that correct? Or like write them down in some format to reference? Yeah. Like uh, I actually got that from Chanel and her family every year before the new year they like get together and they gather and they write down a list of like the main things they want to hit. And I remember I did this actually years ago when I uh, was first dating Chanel. Uh, we wrote down, I still have the list somewhere in the house. It's rolled up on a piece of paper. I t- my top five things that I wanted to hit for the new year. And it was like hit a hundred thousand dollars in sales on my personal online store, buy a house in Scottsdale, this and that. And I had like a list of things and it just kind of keeps you accountable and puts things in front of like, Hey, these are the main things I want to focus on. And so, yeah, you, set long-term goals and targets because you should always be working towards something. And it's something we talk about on a regular basis, just like the, what's what's our next things that we want to do? What are our next biggest goals, things? And then once we do that, it's like, cool, now, now what? You know sure. what I mean? So always you should set a long-term goal and target, but I also don't think you should be so worried on folk focused on like, for example, a long-term goal of mine is like, I want to make a movie one day, but I don't have like a, like a, like a feature film that's on, sure. you know, but there's not like a set time frame on that on like, you know, like, Oh, it's got to happen, happen by this end of year. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you should always set, write down goals, have them listed somewhere. That's always reminding you, like I have a to-do list that sits in the corner of my computer screen yeah like a stickier note or yeah Yeah. that just always is like right there in front of my face like yo don't forget this you got to do this 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 it's like obviously the to-do list but then there's like bigger picture stuff as well you never want to lose sight of it i i'm definitely more in terms of like my productivity i know this isn't really gauged or the question isn't really around that but i'm someone who's like very like tangible i used to like i can't tell you how many like apps i've downloaded on my phone that are like to-do list and like if it's not in front of you staring at you every day you won't you're gonna forget it because there's a lot of things pulling your attention in other places, right? Gigs or different things. So for me, I have like, I just found on Amazon, like a little, you know, Manila or what would you call that? Like a, a legal pad. Yeah. And at the top of the morning, I write down like the five things. So you're analog. I'm you're very analog. analog. Cause there's something about scratching something off. That's like very satisfying. You're like, yeah, I like zeroed out my inbox this morning, done. And then you can stare at all day. Cause like, obviously for me, as I'm like, doing stuff for Tropic Color and locations and stuff and just all of our businesses, 
naturally my attention gets pulled into so a Zoom call ways. for two hours or it gets pulled over yeah. here or I've got to go run to the location because we just ran out of supplies. So like my day sometimes just slips away right. and I need to have something that's like, no, when you get back zero in, like there's these things still need to be complete. So right. I know that's more short term, but I think short term is a nice balance to long term because long term would be that list for the year where short term is kind of like the things you want to do like day to day. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so hundred percent, you should always set long-term goals for sure. Yeah. LAD Films. There are two sides to every coin. What are the pros and cons of being an in-demand filmmaker? I would say naturally, as you get better at doing something, people are going to want you to you know, work with them, right? So if you're an in-demand director, artists are going to want to work with you. If you're kind of like a cinematographer who's found their stride, naturally other directors and creatives will want to hire you. I think the key thing when becoming a filmmaker that, yeah, maybe is in demand, if that's the right term to use, or is getting a lot of work, I think is a better way of putting it, is being very selective of the projects you shoot. Because obviously, you now have you know amassed many opportunities to where I think you can pick the projects that are going to make you the most happy. Uh, we do plan on doing an episode about like creative burnout, because that right. naturally happens when you just work, 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 and you kind of come up for air and it's like, you're completely depressed and you're like, or wondering where you're at. So this is not really a creative burnout question, but I think as you become more in demand or start working a bit more, be choosy. If you get a brief or a treatment, or maybe as a DP, you're getting something where someone's asking you, and if it doesn't really align with your style or sensibilities, there's no harm in passing on it. Yeah. Or just saying, hey, I don't I don't think I'm the right person for this. Thanks for asking. And like be a little bit more selective would be so my answer to I it. I think that's why, because there was a long for for a while, there was a good point in time where I I guess you could say I was in demand. And like I would say I still am, but it's like in the height of like all the YouTube stuff, uh, music videos I was doing for people, it's like always shooting. But then it's like, even if someone high up in the you know movie industry, it's like, if you're constantly in demand and shooting movie, 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 you're not seeing your family for months. You're yeah. not, you're not going on vacation. You're not living a personal life. Cool. You're making money shooting movies, but you have no life outside of that. Yeah. So there's always, you know, the pros and cons of work life, you know, personal balance. And for me, I love to work, but then I love to just chill, relax. Cause what is life? If you can't enjoy it, you can't go on vacation. You can't hang out with friends. You can't see your family have like the other, the other day I had nephews over for two days and you know, we had like a sleepover and we took them out and That's we awesome. played basketball and it's like, but like, if I was just like working, 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 you wouldn't build those relationships. You wouldn't make those memories. Sure. So there's always two sides to every coin. It's finding that good balance. And then, yeah. 100%. So. I mean, it's tricky too. Cause I think naturally as we're all starting out, we think that if we want to make it to X or whatever your your point B is or your destination, if, if that's being a filmmaker that shoots features or whatever, uh, you think that you have to like hustle. And yes, you do to a degree, right. but at what cost, right? I mean, I think setting some parameters um, will be helpful because like you said, like obviously missing moments with your family, that's invaluable. You know what I mean? And I knew a Steadicam operator is a little older than me. He did a feature and he was like literally shooting in the Sahara desert for like nine months. And every weekend at his own expense, he flew back just so he could see like his daughter's dance recitals. And he's like, dude, I lost a lot of money doing that, but it was the best thing I could have ever done. Cause like being away from your family for like nine months, Sucks, bro. but he was like an in-demand Steadicam yeah. operator. So like it is, it, it comes at a cost. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And I know Maybe that's a little bit of a, uh, a sidebar, but I mean, naturally, as you become more in demand, you kind of have to like weigh those things. Yeah, you know what 100%. I mean? So, Rob Doggy Dog. What's he got? With, uh, 
I think it's video with yeah. video needing an ROI somehow streams slash clicks, views, sales. Do you guys take into account the analytics with your creative process? I will say a lot of the productions we've done as of recent have been productions for our companies. Right. So to answer that in that lens, we're making a lot of the videos that play on Instagram, Facebook, on the website banner. So yes, to speak to that directly, we build videos knowing that like, okay, this video is going to have a five second hook. The first five seconds of this video, we need to hook somebody by doing a shot that does this or that. And yeah, I mean, I, I it is tricky because I don't know if this question is framed in the sense of like, you know, around a music video and you're kind of like, yeah. you know, an ROI on like making money on like the clicks and the views. I can't really speak to that because I don't really know the YouTube side of things per se, but um, from like the ad side, I know we do structure our videos to have like, you know, we know that like there's a thing called like UGC. So we'll do like certain videos that perform better and stuff. You know what I mean? Well, I think just us being creatives ourselves, that, you know, we can really kind of lower the cost of a production by doing everything ourselves and not hiring outside companies to like make our projects and whatnot. 100%. Um, but yeah, so. I think it kind of speaks to that. But yeah, yeah, I know obviously there are like, you know, YouTube views, um, you know, obviously generate income. So it's like making decisions. I, yeah, it's kind of, it is a, a large question that can kind of speak to different, uh, you know, uh, different facets of filmmaking, you know, but for us, I think the best answer we can give is like our companies require video work and we do structure our videos to kind of cater to yeah. return on investment. If that makes sense. Nora, the creator, if you were not filmmakers, what profession would you see yourselves doing? Oh, I know off the rip. What would sure. you do? Personal trainer. Or I feel like I would, yeah, be somewhere involved in, I would, I would do like professional sports. Like I would love to like be some sort of trainer, physical thing for like sons, Cardinals, football, cool. like something like that and fitness training, et cetera, for sure. Easy. Makes sense with like the buff nerds brand or real estate, but I know I would have more fun. I mean, I already do real estate, so it's kind of, that's, that's already kind of a thing, but yeah, I think something for sure. I love sports. I love working out fitness. I'd for sure tr love to be like a personal trainer for like professional athletes, be like cool. Phoenix Suns, something like that. I think for me to have to be like a total, just like swing, like this is very unrelated to film, but I have a lot of friends who are musicians and just seeing like them on Instagram, like we're going to be gone for three months and they're hitting all these shows and cities. And like, I don't really have a musical bone in my body. Like during quarantine, I tried to pick up the guitar and like failed miserably at it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I do think that life would be really cool. I think it's very, it parallels filmmaking because you're doing an art form that, you know, you sell, like we sell digital products, they sell digital music. So I think there's some similarities, but you I don't know. look like you would play the guitar or like, <laughs> yeah, you look like you would play some type of a guitar, we'll like a away, rock like band, the, the all tats. the tats. Yeah. But yeah. like you just, no, nah. I don't know. I, in an alternate universe, I probably am rocking out somewhere, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Right now, I, I guess I'm just stuck being a steady cam operator. <laughs> <laughs> stuck being nice. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Jonas uh, Gaida, Gaida, uh, what is your thought process when investing in the camera gear? Do you guys give yourself a time frame to recoup, make that money back through the camera? Right off top, right off rip. I'll I know say you got something to say about this. Yes. <laughs> uh, Tom is a gearhead to the max. He loves buying gear. 
I think there, th- that should have a little asterisk next to it. I'm not just buying gear because I saw a YouTube review. It's like, I need the newest A7S. Like, <laughs> I, I don't really care for that per se. I find that stuff interesting because I, I like to have my finger on the pulse of just like, what's going on? I mean, you if you live under a rock like Patrick, like you're not going to know like what the next thing is. And like, I like to know like what's happening. Right. But I like to buy gear where it makes sense for us as filmmakers. Like I bought a Teradek. I bought a Nucleus follow focus system because I was tired of like having to go on ShareGrid or like pay a rental house a hundred bucks here and there. When I was like- And the time, the time to set that up. The sh- message the guy, the, the insurance, issue a cert, go pick it up, return it once you've, yeah. If you so ha- I buy gear to make my life easier. Like for yeah, instance, that's a we great, were here recording. That's yeah. a great sound bite. You buy gear to make your life easier. Because like I, I live in Los Angeles. I drove out. We we're doing this podcast today, but we're shooting tomorrow and the next day. Right. And everything I brought is everything we need. Right. I brought this director monitor. I brought the fall focus. I brought, and it's nice to have those things, but- I think to kind of double down on his answer where he's saying like, do you look at the investment in terms of like an ROI? Like, okay, I've had this red camera you for don't, right? two years. No, I mean- I don't either. I, I buy it because it's going to help me. And I have I have rented out my gear, not to like really make money. Yeah, I've sure. Here, borrow my red. Here's my rental yeah. rate. But I, I, I honestly, me personally hate renting out my gear because I'll pull it out of the box a week later to use it and it's missing a cable yeah, or I'm, missing a memory card. And I'm like, I don't it's not worth it out. to me. Like that now I'm stressed because I'm missing this thing. And it's like, I, I, so long story short, I mostly buy stuff for where it makes sense for me to use it on my own productions or Same. our own stuff. Less of like, okay, this red's going to generate me 30K in revenue. Like I, I don't really think in those terms. Yeah. Know? I mean, I could see how someone would look at that and be like, all right, I'm going to buy this red camera. Like charge their client. 30K. You know, I'm going to charge the client. I'm going to rent it out to other people. And then other people are basically paying for me to own this red cool. If that's like your, the way you're looking at your business model, that's fine. That's personally like, I don't need to be in that position. So like, I don't do it. Like I'd rather some of our shoots where we're shooting in our own location with our own equipment. Yeah. And we've even like, wow, this day, had we just been like some random Joe Schmo. That's a great point. That's a great point. Slow this one down. Cause yeah. Okay. Cause like there's been times when we shoot uh prism lens effects promo day, get some friends over, they take some photos. We basically make a commercial for our company. Right. And in most instances, if you were another company, right? Like maybe you made belts or maybe you made something else. You'd have to outsource all those things. You'd have to rent that location, hire the crew, hire the gear, and that would probably be like a 30 to 50K day. And there's been a few times where we're shooting in our own location, which is with rad. With our, our gear. With all of our own reds, steady, with my steady I'm director, cam. And I'm kind I of edit. like, you know, and maybe that budget for that day was like $2,000, right? Rent some cool lenses, pay some friends, buy some food and crafty, but that's it. You know, like right. that would have been a very expensive day for us as business owners to rent and hire all that stuff. So right. I guess to answer that question, we're maybe saving money by having it because we would yeah. have probably had to rent all that stuff otherwise. You know yeah. what I mean? So it helps in terms of being a business owner, and then being able to use your own gear to like help offset other costs. Cause yeah, what might be a 25 K commercial shoot day, maybe only costs us less than five. You and know then, I mean? you know, you can make your fee a little higher. Cause now you're not having to go give that yeah. to a rental house, you know? So Davu Durich, Dirk. Yeah. Durich. I think. So let me see. What do you think about the IATSE protests, their movement of feeling overworked and abused working long hours? I can speak to this to some degree. I am not, in a situation where you're in the union, I'm in the union, but I feel like I'm like kind of one degree away in the sense that I have a lot of friends who have been kind of posting about everything that's been going on. And it is, 
it is kind of crazy, you know, like hearing stories, like one of the first Steadicam operators we worked with was Neil Bryant. Right. He's amazing. Like I follow him on social media. He's killing it. He works on these shows and I'll see on his story sometimes, like, you know, another Friday day and a Friday day is a term associated to a Friday that starts at like 8 p.m. and wraps at like 8 a.m. So it's a Friday that dips into a Saturday. And that's a very common thing, right? right. You start Monday at 3 a.m. and you work all week till Friday and your Friday schedule dips into Saturday. So you have like half a Saturday off, then Sunday to maybe like do laundry and reset. And then Monday morning, you're back at Warner Brothers Studios at 3 a.m. And it's like, oh man, that that is rough. And mind you, I can't speak to it from like a first person perspective, right. but having enough friends who are in the industry, it's rough, man. I mean, long hours, like we're talking, we, me and you move pretty quickly. So when it's our right. own stuff, we work like eight to 12, 12 being like, oh, wow, that was a long day. These people, I think that this question is referencing are working sometimes like up to 16 hours. All right, can I play devil's advocate to that? Yeah. These guys make great money though, right? Like prospectively to someone who also works 12 hour days that maybe makes 20 bucks an hour. I actually counter that and say, sure, maybe it's a livable wage. Yes. But actually a lot of these rates for new media, for HBO, Netflix, and Hulu, which technically fall under a different bracket, right. the rates are quite low, actually, for what really? they are. Like what's, so, what I, I couldn't rough example? I couldn't speak with much confidence because I think I would throw out a number and get chewed apart by like, oh, it's actually higher or lower. But it is not for 16 hours. I don't know. I, I think it's just like there's this question's kind of speaking to like just feeling abused. Here's a case in point. There's a thing called a meal penalty. Without getting too in the weeds, basically if your call time is 12 noon, technically after six hours, you need to take at least like an hour long break for lunch. And a lot of producers look at that saying, wow, we can get so much more shots if we just like blow past lunch and just keep working the crew. And that there is like a penalty involved with that, which basically like, you know, the crew gets an extra bump in their rate for right. that penalty right. and producers just look at it like, oh, well, we can get all these extra shots. F the crew. Let's just shoot through lunch. And a lot of crews are like fighting for like, nah, that's not chill. Like we need to like have a break. So right. I, I don't know. I can see kind of both sides, but I don't know. I don't know like where the answer, like they wanted me to like, or wanted us to speak on it. But I, I acknowledge that I have a lot of friends in this circumstance and they're basically just fighting for like, just, just reasonable work hours, which, right. yeah, I don't know. I mean, which, we've I been think, in situations where we've been overworked, bro, and it's like not fun. Yeah. You know what I mean, so I get that. I get that 100%. Yeah. We'll definitely dive into We have a, a podcast plan where it's like our worst days, our worst yeah. set experiences. And there's one that comes to mind, bro. I think that was like a 16 hour day. Brutal. And I definitely know you and I, like, our morale was like super low. So. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, then there's something to say about the creative suffers in some way because you're just like, yo, I'm. I'm out. I'm over know? this. Yeah. Like mentally checked out, not really here. I'm I'm just like a body now moving, but yeah, the mental's kind of gone at that point. So this so. is our last submitted question. Um, I don't know if you want to read it real quick. So Ryan Ross Cruz asks, what do you both think will change in the industry within the next 10 years? It'd be kind of cool to actually get both of our perspectives. Cause I have, I have a few ideas. You go first. You go first. Well, I think in the last, even just five years, we spoke on this actually earlier in one of our first episodes where when Jake and I first met, like the light, one of the best lights you could rent was a Kino 4 bank. We yeah, actually yeah. had to switch the tubes. So even just in the <laughs> lifetime of our friendship, which is like what, I guess seven or eight years at this yeah, point, eight. like lighting has had a complete revolution from oh, yeah. LED, RGB. I mean, this light we're using Unreal. here can be anything, right? Anything red, blue, want. green, where before, bro, you'd have to buy gel. So... Without kind of going too far down that, I think just seeing what Lighting. has happened in like eight years since I met you, 
Lighting for sure is going to change. We're going to see more stuff controlled via an iPad or an iPhone. We're already seeing Aperture have that with like being able to control the light bulbs, the... I forget those. Yeah, yeah. We have a couple of them actually, yeah, yeah. which are really cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure cameras will get smaller, sensors will get bigger. I mean, that just seems like the natural progression. I th I think the last thing I'll I mention is the there seems to be a lot of really cool things with like those video domes that you yeah, see yeah. in like Mandalorian. I, I think that's gonna be the biggest thing. I think you're gonna see so many productions not shooting on physical locations and making everything more digital in a studio where everything is so just controlled. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at, I mean, if you look at, I would say, I want to say, and I could be wrong, 90% of all like car shots you see now where they're driving oh, in yeah. movies or shows, they're all digital. I've seen like, it's just an LED it screen. Arguably looks better because yeah. if, I mean, I've done car mount stuff, you go out for a night interior and what if you're driving down North Hollywood and all the lights are off or it's not as many lights? Well, and it's so much more expensive oh, too yeah. from lighting it you have to, to getting police the, the police officers, the, the, yeah. the, the trailer that just there's so much more money involved. So, if, of course, if you can have an alternative that alternative that is inside, more controlled, cost less money looks arguably better like yeah. why wouldn't you so i i feel like so much more productions are going to happen in studios with that dome L i think they LED call it like screens. the volume yeah. i mean my thought is yeah, if yeah. i'm filming you right now and there's a green screen behind you there's just gonna be a world where the volume or this led wall will just be behind you instead so yeah, instead yeah. of like leaving it up to a vfx artist to like put a desert Sahara I think behind that's you. be the biggest thing. And it's easily. cool because as a cinematographer, I'm sure some people, if you're familiar with it, the show Mandalorian popularized this where they have cameras, whereas the camera's parallaxing, the, the wall moves. is moving too. And as a cinematographer, you're getting the light from the LED wall. So now the Mandalorian has reflections of yeah. the surround. It's really cool. So if that just, that technology kind of just came out in the last few years. So 10 years from now, it'd actually be fun to look back on this episode and see how far we were accurate or wrong, but I do think that think technology is going to be so seamless. It. And now you're going to probably see that technology like tap in wirelessly with your DSLRs or your reds. I mean, it's going to be even more integrated. I think, I think that's going to be the number one biggest thing in the film industry like, is I'm calling it right now. I guarantee you in like, f I even think five years aperture will make, because apertures definitely seems to be that kind of breaking line of like the fundamentals, like, oh, sky panel 10,000 here. Ours is 1900. They're going to make, <laughs> no, they've been killing it. Yeah. They're going to make an LED wall, I bet. Yeah, I bet, yeah. or something similar to where You'd that's like it. the next frontier. Like companies like sky panel or right, area right. or whatever are going to make their own lights that kind of are like their mini volumes, like a little, you know, like an eight by eight green right, screen. Right, right. I bet some companies are going to make an eight by eight. LED wall for like yeah it, low budget oh, driving shots 100% and like, yeah, you like yeah. kind of put it on wheels and move it over the window yeah, yeah, yeah. so it'd be funny to like look back on this and be like oh we're, how accurate were I we? don't think you're wrong with that yeah I don't think you're wrong with that but yeah that pretty much wraps up the 10 submitted questions we will probably be doing something like this very similar in the future uh, we're just you know like I said this is episode three we're just kind of starting out but I thought this would be a cool opportunity for you guys to get involved in our process a lot of the format for like the quick takes with us Tom and Jake are going to be an initial prompt and our quick take on that right you know yeah. maybe that's a camera maybe that's a company a story or maybe it's another filmmaker joining us here at the table but yeah i appreciate everyone if the live is still going i haven't checked that great thanks for showing up but for anyone who's watching on youtube or listening on apple or spotify uh much love i appreciate it as always and yeah anything yeah you i mention? just want to say if you guys are watching on youtube like uh, subscribe appreciate it it helps us out a lot to just kind of like dive into more stuff in the future 
and comment below on future topics and things you want to see us cover. Maybe even people you want to see us try and bring on um, and just different things like that. But yeah, we just want this to be a hub for just learning and growing within the filmmaking, creative, entrepreneurial space. So um, yeah, I don't really have much yeah, else to I say. Think that's a that. wrap. Appreciate you guys.